This is episode 144 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer back today, joined by Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Topp. We are, as always, sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know they're great beers like Flagship Fantasy, Factory IPA, Block Party, and others. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side to check it out. You can also get a discount on some Carbon 4 merch just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. A reminder, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods. Our patrons also get question priority here on the program, and you get a personal shout-out when you do become a patron, and we'll get to this week's questions in just a bit. Uh, but first of all, uh, you guys actually got together and did a little emergency pod halfway through the week because uh, we know baseball's back now, so check that out if you haven't. Quick little listen. Uh, Paul and I weren't able to join, but uh, Ryan and Brad joined by Steve Garzinski, and it, w- it was a good listen. Check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, the Cruz and Chubbies talk. I, I almost yeah. took that out. I thought about I thought about pulling that, and then I'm like, ah, eh, just leave it in. It's, a, it's on I, Steve you anyway. Talk about cruising chubbies, but I think it's your ride them wet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I missed this podcast. Actually, I'm happy uh, with my man. choice. <laughs> I'm disappointed I missed the cruising chubbies talk. It's it's on that billboard at Nadell's every time I'm driving from Lacrosse to Madison's. It's real hard to miss. Yep. It is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you should check that out, not just for the Cruz and Chubbies talk, but for the, uh, I guess, initial reactions to baseball coming back. And we kind of wanted to loop back uh, now that we had a few more days to digest this, kind of think about it more and kind of see how teams are starting to pull together their plans for coming back. So I guess, Paul, we'll start with you because you were, you know, one of those with me that missed the emergency pod. I guess, what are your final impressions, I guess, about how this entire situation ended up going down? (laughs) I do think the, that the the owners and players both got what they want, kind of at the end with a nice little compromise. By the time that they settled on implementation, the offers going back and forth were pretty much the same for the players. And I think we reached a point with COVID-19 where um, while the players would have liked to have been paid more for more games, that there is a benefit to playing a shorter season where um, people are not going to be exposed as much in the winter, where... It, you know, you don't have to be around people quite as long by dragging out the season. And I think people are starting to get a little spooked too. So um, I, I know Eugene Friedman basically said the implementation is good for the players at this point because you really don't want to have the really prolonged playoff negotiations as part of an emergency inspired, um, you know, circumstance. You want to actually talk that out in a more reasonable fashion in terms of revenue split and major changes to baseball. And I know all those were, you know, theoretically off the table for post-2021, but whenever you agree to something, it always gets introduced into the next set of bargaining. So um, like all good negotiations, nobody's perfectly happy, but I think everybody kind of got what they wanted when it all when it all came through. So this seems good. Yeah, the owners seem to think that they have a decent chance of winning their grievance, and the players seem to think they have a good chance of winning it too because yep. they gave up, you know, they gave up some substantial goodies that they could have had to retain the ability to grieve because one of the conditions of the owner's last proposal was that they give up the right to grieve at at that point. So they kept that intact and there are rumors. We've heard a lot of talk already this week that they are going to continue talking or they're still talking about expanding the playoffs now. 
So there's a decent chance that that happens down the road. We'll see. Yep. I, I would imagine that they the, the drop debt for that's got to be like opening day, right? Like they don't want to yep. play a season where they potentially once the season starts, they're changing the rules of who's going to make the postseason. But up yeah, to that point. That. Yeah. No. Yeah. But up to that point, you can still change that. So I think they probably are. Well, they're looking at circumstances and seeing how everything's playing out nationally with the positive test rates, especially in certain markets. They still have to get sorted out what's going to happen with Toronto, because technically Toronto is it's not allowed. <laughs> they can't play in Toronto. So they have <laughs> the borders to, closed. Yeah, they have to sort that. They th- there's a bunch of things that still have to be worked out as far as trying to get all this together. So, you know, we just kind of have to continue to wait and see and see how the opening of training camps goes. I mean, we could be at the point where somebody that the camp opens and it's a mess within days and they have to shut down. And at that point, like what you're going to play without an entire team. I know the NWSL right. did that, but that will screw up your entire schedule then. It, it right we'll see how that all ends up shaking out but there's there's a lot still to come right i didn't see the playoff expansion should i like make a major vegas bet on a fringe playoff team to make the playoffs now <laughs> can you is that yeah. uh, do they have live playoff odds? i mean they put the odds out already the odds are out yep okay. yeah we'll get to that in a minute the odds <laughs> are out I'm, so i yeah i saw this on twitter but this definitely feels like one of the years the marlins win the world series again right because that's just <laughs> yeah it could be <laughs> if the marlins win the world series and instead of celebrating the players i have to see a bunch of hashtag retupacked out there i'm going to lose my goddamn mind because it's all going to be like Derek jeter won the world series and it's not going to be about the marlins at all and it's going to be so frustrating because it'll just be that hashtag trending as the players accomplish something that they really shouldn't be able to do even though when you look at the talent there it's not awful it's not the best it's been obviously they were actually in a good spot before jose fernandez died but they have some pretty good starting pitching they have some players that they've acquired on waivers that we are familiar with who we know can have good seasons in if everything pulls right for them jesus aguilar right uh vr but I think that'd be kind of fun because they ended up with so many Brewer players. They have Garrett Cooper now. They have... <laughs> they're basically the 2015 Brewers. Yeah, right. it, be, it would it would not be kind of fun. It would be bad and depressing. So. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> I don't want to watch baseball in that ballpark either. I hate watching baseball in that ballpark. You just watch everything hit into the air, eaten up into abyss. That's true. But on the like, other hand, it won't be that different from when they have fans in the stands either. Exactly. Yeah. Right. They, it's the, it's had... the least amount of change. Exactly. Uh, So getting back to the negotiations, I think, you know, you guys mentioned everybody got a little bit of what they wanted, except apparently Trevor Bauer, who was still sore about being left (laughs) out of the process. That's that's the sign that you had the best deal possible. Trevor Bauer is is upset. Exactly. So we do have our first Patreon question of the day comes from Luke Zimmerman. He's asking about those negotiations. Question is, do you see anything in these negotiations that gives positivity about upcoming discussions to replace the expiring CBA? Or do they signal major conflict? I guess, Paul, I think I, I think <laughs> we know where you land on this. But what are your thoughts? I actually don't know that there's too much to signal out of this. And a major conflict is 
the obvious answer, if you want to pull a positive out, it is that they did have to, they got a dry run of speaking to each other normally without this happening. They would have gone into those negotiations fresh without having dealt um, with each other so recently before. And it would have been contentious without the ability to kind of adjust strategies on the fly in real time. Whereas now everybody's working with perfect knowledge of how the other side's going to operate. And baseball can take a hard look at this and reevaluate just how much better the Players Association's um, negotiating tactics have gotten. Um, And that should help, honestly. Um, Everybody's contentious in negotiations. A lot of this is just about understanding how the other side works and being able to come to some kind of mutual understanding. And, you know, there's different strategies for if both teams are hard asses or both sides are you know, willing to work together kind of negotiators. And uh, you know, it, it may actually have some slight benefits, just ha- having some cards put on the table. But what we've learned is that they're really at odds with each other and don't trust each other. So it, it, it's probably still going to be pretty rough. It, it's silver lining, um, but, you know, we, we can also see it's, it's not great. The relationship's bad. Right. What forced them to finally agree on anything? It was MLB using administrative powers to force the agreement. It, so, it was never them actually coming together, which I realized it's it's a completely different discussion, right? Like playing yeah. together in a pandemic isn't the same as expanding your uh, agreement that dictates your employment. And that's not entirely fair to say that it was just administrative powers. Part of the March 26th agreement that we've relied so heavily on for the players not taking a pay cut also did give Rob Manfred the ability to implement the schedule. Um, now, there's that subcategory which is supposed to make it as long as possible, but that was agreed to. Um, and I think Friedman's positive take on this was just they got to a point where they both understood, OK, we have this agreement and it is binding. And so you do your thing and we'll do our thing and then we'll move forward. That's where it kind of just all ended. But again, like they hated each other so much for the whole several months going into it. There, there's not really a positive out of that fact. Right. And I am happy that they did get a pulse on each other, right? Because I think it it would have set up a much more contentious, which is still probably going to be a pretty gruesome battle over the next CBA. But I think, like you said, because now they do have a pulse on how the other side operates, we're looking at something that can be better orchestrated by both sides, which might have a cleaner fight to watch than what we just witnessed over the last six weeks. Well, I think undoubtedly the ownership now knows that the union is not the pushover that they were in the last CBA negotiations. They have to understand that this is not the same group. This is not being led the same way. I don't know if that's the Bruce Meyer influence or Tony Clark grew a spine or whatever. (laughs) But like literally the, the union was a pushover in the last negotiations. They got worked and they the the negotiation before that wasn't great either from the union side. And now the ownership knows that. So maybe going in, they set slightly more reasonable goals. I, I don't know if that's possible, but hopefully they, they go in going, well, I guess we're not going to try to completely crush them because that's not going to work. We've gotten as far as we have, and we're going to need to be a little more reserved. I don't know if they actually operate that way. It seems unlikely considering, you know, who the owners are, but it, it is something. And, as a person who is unabashedly pro player in this whole thing, who thinks that the players are the reason that we watch the game and that they should get the the lion's share of the benefits from playing it. I'm glad to see out of this. I take as a big positive that the players seem to have gotten their shit together 
and that they are going to be a more formidable opponent in what should be, you know, a really consequential negotiation for the next time, whether that's good or bad for baseball being played, you know, all those seasons and not having work stoppage. I don't know. Right. But I do take it as a positive just in general that they are that they're strong. And one question I have for Paul is looking at, I think something that became very apparent towards the end of the negotiations before the implementation of the season was that there were some pretty substantial disputes on the owner side. Does that knowledge that there is such a fracture in that side of the negotiations based on what people want, does that make it any more terrifying in terms of fans of baseball just in being able to enjoy baseball versus like a work stoppage happening? So it probably makes up a work stoppage more likely. And the fact that, so we don't know that, but we can, we can make a pretty educated guess that it's the fact. And more importantly, the players association attorneys will know that there's a fracture in the ownership and they can use that to their advantage. If the, where this could get really ugly is if they, the, the owners still decided to try and just run over to the players knowing, I mean, we, we know the players are going to stand up for themselves better than last time. They just did it. They seem very willing to just not play a season. If the owners try and do that, I think the players will be extra emboldened with the knowledge that the owners aren't unified and having grown a spine themselves. So they could get really dug in on this. Um, it, I'm not sure if it's better for the players to have unified owners or not, honestly. It, it, on the one hand, it's better, I think, if they speak with a unified voice so that you know what you're negotiating with versus having like veto power on both sides in the background. That makes a stoppage more likely. On the other hand, it's easier to win your negotiation if the other side's fractured. Just think that you'll have to go through a strike to get there. So I guess the bottom line is if you want baseball, you would like the owners to get their shit together a little bit more because I think the negotiations will go more quickly and more equitably if they do that. But if you want the players to actually get some ground back, if you, if, you know, if, if that's something you're interested in, which, you know, that's fine. I think it makes a stoppage more likely, but the owner, the players are more likely to prevail for, with, uh, with some cheapies and some, some uh, expensive ease on the other side. Sure. I think, you know, going back to maybe a sign of hope is the fact that they did have a March agreement in the first place, right? Like they were able to agree on something enough to get that March agreement through. So they've at least agreed on something recently. True. Whether or not they, you know, they went on to highly disagree on what that agreement actually was, but <laughs> they agreed on something. So, you know, maybe that provides some hope going forward. Uh, in the meantime, though, players are going to start coming back to Milwaukee this week. The birds are going to start their uh, let's just call it summer camp instead of spring training 2.0. Summer camp will be at Miller Park starting on the 4th of July. The players are starting to come in over the next few weeks. Ahead of that, uh, the team officials had kind of a check-in with the media ahead of that in which the Brewers just kind of snuck in there in the middle. Oh, yeah, we've had some positive COVID tests. Don't worry about it. Anyway, back to the season. Um <laughs> They wouldn't say exactly how many or whether those positive tests were players or staff. They did say they were asymptomatic. So, well, uh, no, they said that most were asymptomatic, but most not were all. Asymptomatic. They did sure. say not all were asymptomatic. So, yeah, sure. Which I guess could be good if you're thinking about kind of the lingering effects, but also, you know, asymptomatic people can spread to other people without <laughs> yeah. knowing it. And that's where this mess gets out of hand. So, as, as the players will come back, they're going to be screened and everything like that. So I'm sort of anticipating kind of getting more news in the next week or so about players kind of 
checking in as positive and and we'll see what comes of that but as part of the agreement to come back the players do have a option to opt out of playing david stern says as of now nobody has opted out so the brewers are theoretically working with everybody you think they'd be working with in, in the meantime though it, it seems like while well, the brewers aren't the only team that has had these covid things flare up uh it sounds like the Texas Rangers have a major problem on their hands, especially with their staff and everything and everything going on with Texas. So I guess my, my question is that the tone that the Brewers and other teams are kind of taking, and I think with the NBA coming back too, they even acknowledge this, that people will get COVID and they seem to be okay with that. So I guess is, are you guys okay with this being kind of a asterisk or a condition of returning? <laughs> I think we've we've from the beginning said that if there is a plan to play, that it's unavoidable that someone sure. has a very contagious disease, and any plan has to include and account for the possibility that players get it. Um, so, I mean, this just comes down to if you think it's worth the risk of having sports versus not. I, I honestly don't really have a huge opinion on it. I think that you can play, especially baseball, in a mostly safe way. I, I would say. The, the bigger problem is just everybody's human and you got young kids and they're not always going to abide by the, the rules as they should. So uh, like, I'm fine with that because I think you have to account for it. It's just reality. And that's why we have taxi squads. That's why we have everything like that. Now, you've already seen just horrible examples of teams not adhering to good rules about this. The Rangers in particular had employees coming into the office when they could have been working from home in a place where an outbreak is underway, a, a quite major one. Um, it was not voluntary. Um, some in intrepid reporters obtained reports and memos basically saying, come in or you're fired. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's just terrible. If you want to have this happen, you can't be doing stuff like that. Um, I am I'm a little worried about Milwaukee and Wisconsin in particular, because if you look at any map of COVID outbreaks, the entire Midwest is pretty safe, except for Wisconsin is a big red flag in the middle of it all. We were um, green for like three days. That's good. I'm a, that's good. That's good. It's <laughs> turned a little bit. That's nice. Um, but now it's back to dark red. <laughs> oh, good. So uh, this is just smart planning. And if, if, if you've already gone forward with having a season, you have to have plans for dealing with the disease because there's no way to avoid having the disease. It's just here. And until it's cured, business, if it's going to go on, is going to have people that have it. Yeah, the biggest thing is going to be the players individually on teams deciding to be responsible and to do the things that they know will minimize the risk. So this is going to require getting buy-in from the players on a very personal level for what they're doing with their, their time away from the team and how they're comporting themselves. If they're staying away from public places, if they're not going out to the bars, like, did you hear the Orlando Pride? That was the thing that shut their season down was uh, one of the players went out to a bar and brought it back to everybody and they all got covid that was yeah. it, like players are going to have to i don't know i, I don't want to say police each other but be responsible for each other and say right. we're going to forego this stuff we're going to do everything that we possibly can which includes really only getting together with people outside as much as possible wearing masks when you do go inside someplace and minimizing that as much as possible and if they can do that if if most players on most teams do that I think that they can kind of navigate this and have it be successful. It sounds like the protocols are pretty good in terms of the players are not going to really be allowed to spend much time together indoors. And that's the biggest extended yep. periods of time indoors, especially in a air conditioned place 
it's the biggest way to spread. Like that's where the, the chances of spreading the disease are the highest. So avoid those situations as much as possible. I mean, if you look at the EPL example over in, in, in England, they had like Liverpool's uh, players had to uh, change for their match against Everton in portable uh, uh, trailers that they brought in for this purpose. Like they weren't even really allowed in the stadium Mark. in the dressing room. Yeah, they, they, they changed out there and, and did that. So there's going to have to be a lot of stuff like that. And I, and I know this got political and that a lot of the South is being impacted right now. And it's easy to blame them for their political rea- like reaction to this. But um, one of the biggest lagging indicators right now of outbreaks is actually places that have been experiencing weather that, re- that people go into air conditioning for more than anything else. You know, uh, it's, we're actually about to hit a bit of a heat wave where I am in Minnesota. It's going to be 90s for the foreseeable future. And, you know, the South in the summer just gets very, very, very hot. Everybody goes inside. And, you know, they, they were outside before when it was spring and winter. And that's really a big part of it. That's um, one of the things that we know with a lot of certainty at this point. So to the extent you can avoid being in, um, you know, recycled air-conditioned spaces for prolonged periods of time, that goes a long way here. And if, if teams can make that happen, it'll it'll help things keep going. I like the trailer idea. That's that's great. Everybody should copy that. <laughs> <laughs> I follow a lot of players on Instagram. And the reason I do so is, especially in the minors, is I follow them to see uh, generally if they're taking a flight, which isn't normal in the minors, that means they're moving to the next level or their performance is bad the level down and keep, kind of keep track of them in that way so it's nice little reporting tool for a person as invested in player movement as i am but with that has come a lot of video of players in pools that don't have an inch to breathe in a lot of outdoor parties a lot of high contact gatherings for even tr- player training and it has taken away so much of my confidence that there that these will be perfect situations no matter what. I just don't believe that with how human, how young, how the lack of maturity that some of these guys have because of their world experience, that this can be perfect. And we've acknowledged that for how long, that it's going to be a risk. But like it is inevitable that a player on a team will get this well, and how far that spreads in far into the team is all determined on how the organizations handle it. It seems like in theory, they have a good infrastructure set up, but it has given me a lot of concern about the ability for players in general to stay healthy for long periods of time. And it has given me questions about whether 60 players is going to be enough. Yeah. I mean, the thing I would say to that is that you're in two different phases, right? So before players were kind of at home, left to their own devices, right? They were not really around their teammates. They were not in that context. It was more you're doing your off-season thing, right? But now they're coming back together as a team. And I have to assume that every single team is going to really try to hammer on them that we have to be responsible for each other and that this is going to be an effort. The union has to be big in this. Like that's the union needs to really push that through the union reps and bringing, you know, bringing information to people and saying, look, we have to, we have to do this for each other. We have to be careful for each other. It's one thing when it's for society or for, you know, whatever. It's another thing when it's for your teammates. 
And hopefully, I, this right. is me being hopeful, hopefully that's enough to get them to kind of change their outlook on it and to be like, okay, we're, um, we need to, to do this. If for no other reason, then we need to keep the season going and you want to get paid, don't you? I think if I'm looking at a roster as small as basketball, I see that as being more realistic. But when you're looking at a month or of nearly 30 players, 30 to 28 players for a month, I think that's where my concern that everyone is going. I think a majority of the players will, but all it takes is one moron. Yep, the Aubrey Huff factor. There's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we should patent that. Go yeah. put a put a trademark on it and write a book about it called the Aubrey Huff factor. <laughs> oh, nobody right. n- nobody wants the Aubrey Huff factor. That's that's nope. bad. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there's organizations that are going to handle it better. Like the, the Brewers have an incredibly tight clubhouse bond that has been publicized, or at least we're told that they have a tight clubhouse bond. I'm sure it has its points where it's not perfect. So maybe the Brewers are in a good situation, but not every team is like that. And it's only a matter of time before you get those people who are very selfish and arrogant who put themselves at risk because they don't really care or, you know, there's undiagnosed problems that we don't know about. I'm sure there are plenty of unknown alcoholics who are going to crave the bar afterwards. Sure. And I think, you know, so maybe the key here is, and this is probably a little bit cynical, but if you can't get the players to buy in on the health and just be a good person and stop the spread yourself angle, pitch it as listen as Ryan said, do you want to get paid? Do you want to win? We need you healthy to win. So I I could see that as being a route some teams kind of take because for some players, that will resonate more than don't be a jerk, put a mask on. It kind of leads us to our next question. Uh, Paul, you and uh, our old friend Nick kind of had an interesting conversation on Twitter the other day. And, and he posed this question, maybe kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also an interesting thing to think about. Are players that have tested positive a liability or a market inefficiency? <laughs> so he did do a tongue-in-cheek because there were a few reporters who posted a non-tongue-in-cheek and just right. got for it. Because, right. Uh, so, but the answer is like pretty complicated. Um, first of all, all these players are actually people. And so them getting a, a horrible disease is, is not any kind of market inefficiency, regardless of how you spin it. Um, right. We've already seen a lot of players have lingering effects, including Rudy Gobert. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, who's had it more recently, has not been cleared to start resuming practice yet. It, it does a number on you, even when it doesn't kill you. That's the thing about this that people still, I don't think, have quite internalized properly. If you take this question at its face value, which is, once you get it, you are theoretically immune, which, by the way, we don't know 100% yet. Um, so you can go about your business how you want to at that point, just being an invincible jerk. But that has problems too. So for one thing, even if you get it starting right now, your symptoms might bleed into the season. That's not a market inefficiency because this is a short season. So um, baseball is a very precision game. If anything throws you off of it a little bit, it can cause a slump. It can cause a prolonged... Think about whenever Ryan Braun has a thumb issue or a wrist issue or like how, how bad that is. Yeah, back issue. Any of the many, many issues that Ryan Brown suffers from. Yeah, just yeah. run down the list. <laughs> now give somebody like a, a, a minor respiratory cardiovascular disease that can linger for a month and that is inside their system. And imagine that trying to bat at, at the same level after having, you know, abbreviated spring training. So it's not even practically a market inefficiency there. The other thing, so I always keep an eye out for when antibody testing becomes more widespread. Because I think there's at least some chance that I had COVID back in February for a variety of reasons. I may have just had the flu, also t- possible, but I would like to know. And 
um, the Mayo, I live in Minnesota, Mayo Clinic and the University of Minnesota apparently have a pretty good antibody test. They're hesitant about putting it out there for, uh, I think, a couple of reasons. If you read the website, it's all about how they don't know that it's 100%, uh, that it would give you immunity anyway. They don't want to give people false senses of confidence. I'd like to know anyway and make those decisions myself. But the other thing it does is um, if there's a big chunk of people who start to have this and think they're immune, even, even in, maybe are immune, you start to get into a society that looks not so great. You start to have a whole bunch of people that have had it that can act in different ways than the people who haven't had it. You start to incentivize possibly people be taking more risks and to get into that class. And um, that's also not a market of inefficiency. Imagine a team that tests uh, everybody for antibodies, figures out that they have a third that are fine. Um, maybe even relaxes restrictions, even if they don't. Maybe those people act like they don't have restrictions because they think they're immune. The effect of the two-thirds people on the roster that haven't had it yet, it becomes much more tempting to act irresponsibly and go out. It, it Maybe even with the intent of, I'll just get this and get it over with. And, and these are kids. They're not going to be thinking necessarily rationally about this. They're not going to think about waiting for a vaccine to come around six months from now. They, you know, they're seeing their buddies out having a good time, seemingly immune. Um, so it could do a number on your clubhouse as well if you have that kind of market inefficiency. So I think it's bad all around. I don't really, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying, just taking this at its earnest face value. You really don't want that. It introduces a host of issues that you have to deal with that your team is probably not prepared to deal with because they probably haven't put that much thought into it, aside from the fact that it maybe will kill a few people as well. And we do know for sure that people have gotten it a second time. We know that that's, there, have, there are people. It seems to be less likely, but it also, there are people getting it multiple times. So that's that's out there like it's not there is no cure-all for it at this point like even having it doesn't necessarily make you um, immune i don't know what you're talking about i got an email about a cure-all i paid 150 dollars and it is coming so <laughs> <laughs> does it involve bleach get it from novak Djokovic? <laughs> oh boy because uh i have some news for you about that one. Oh boy no it's good i i'm pretty sure it's good <laughs> It's good news. Don't worry, guys. It'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, we're we're starting to see that Paul mentioned there are some sports reporters out there kind of suggesting that, hey, maybe just get it now and get it over with. I think we're seeing that kind of implied more with football because there's there's more time before that season starts. Yep. Isn't isn't there the college football parties going around where like like right. how parents will do chicken pox parties? Yep. They're having COVID parties. That's a there's thing. It's so called yeah, heard There's immunity a major parties or whatever in uh, in Michigan this week. Actually, I cannot Great. wait for the lawsuit that happens regarding a coach getting one of his players. I don't want this to happen. I hope they face serious repercussions for putting their players through that. Unpaid players through health things so they can go win the title bowl. There's no way college football is going to happen. If, no, that would be. It's it's just insanity if that happens. I, if well, you think about just slamming that many into people, oblivion. slamming that many people into that locker room anyway, like it's just the second you put those players together, you're going to get it right. Yep. I mean, they always have issues like with uh, streptococcal or whatever. Like they always have issues like with that stuff in locker rooms in college football. Like it's they're they're nasty and a mess, and like it's it's terrible. I've I've heard horrible stories about that stuff. So just yeah, have huge problems with meningitis every year. Yeah, um, exactly. Close proximity, which is far less contagious, um, and it, it still kills like a, like a handful of college students every every year. Uh, it, you can't do it. There's people that make bad decisions by their nature, um, who drink too much by their nature, all crammed together in 
the most spreadable environment ever. It, it, it cannot happen. Every college that does it will be like literally sued out of existence. They have like the most amount of people, right? Like out of when we're looking at how many people you're cramming into a space, college maximizes it. So that's like, and then on top of it, like you have the superior facilities at some locations, but mm-hmm. not everywhere has that. Not everywhere ha- is investing $300 million into their stadiums, into their locker rooms, into their uh, cleaning, into they're not putting the money into that. They're, they're putting the money into pockets. Ironically, a lot of the schools that have those facilities are also in areas where they're least likely to observe proper pro- protocol for avoiding COVID and not have masks as much and things like and that. And they also so. have leadership that is stupid like that's correct. if you've listened to what Dabo sweeney has said about covid the man is a moron and no, it is Dabo sweeney is smart i've seen a lot of things in the last three months about him being smart <laughs> yeah that i mean just go look up some of the stuff he, i mean it is mind-boggling the things that this man thinks about this disease and that is that is the directing power then of his leadership you know like that is those are the assumptions he's operating under in terms of leading his team through this and it's horrifying and it it's no surprise at all that what clemson has had like 40 players already test positive even before they like got to campus yep (laughs) yeah like unrelated yeah i mean it's absolutely unbelievable Funny coincidence that is. Yeah, just yep. a coincidence. Uh, you got Mike Gundy in his OAN shirt. It's it's just not a good situation. Oh yeah, right. Uh, back to the Brewers and the baseball. Uh, as we record this on Sunday, by the end of the day, we should at least know who the Brewers are working with as far as their pool of players go. So a reminder: teams get basically sixty player pool to work with this year. Uh, it'll be a forty man roster plus twenty other folks who aren't on that they'll kind of get assigned to, I guess, the second camp, which will be in Appleton. And so by the end of today, we'll know who is kind of on this roster. But as we sit here, we don't really know. So I guess the first question is, as we look at the Brewers 40-man roster, Ryan, do you see anybody on that that would be kind of left out of this group? No, it doesn't really seem like there's anybody here that would be they're going to need all the pitchers they can get. And they don't have any pitchers on here who are like not ready for the majors yet. Everybody has either pitched in the majors or could conceivably, I guess Angel Perdomo and, and Trey Supak have not pitched. Shupak. Shupak. That's right. Shupak have not pitched in the majors at all yet, but they're close enough, right? That like they could potentially be part of that group. So I can't see them being left out. They've both pitched extensively at double a at least. Yeah, and Shupak was in, and Perdomo were both at AAA last year. So uh, Perdomo is, I mean, he just needs the refined control. Otherwise, he has electric stuff. And Shupak is definitely fringe majors ready. Yeah, I think he's a guy that if you have to call on, you know, your eighth or ninth pitcher because other people are hurt or sick, he would be the guy that would just, okay, you're going to go eat innings. And he would be that guy. Uh, right. looking further down the roster. It, it, no, I mean, everybody else seems like they are potential major leaguers this year. We know Tyrone Taylor, uh, the Brewers optioned him to the taxi squad. Basically already they made that decision, but I believe right. during the, the summer camp, the taxi squad players will actually still be at the major league facility, working out with the major leaguers, at least for part of it. 
They come yeah, through the big league facility. That's my understanding. Is they'll all be working together to start. Right. Uh, and Tyrone Taylor was optioned because he's dealing with a wrist injury. The understanding is he'll probably be available later, but he he was optioned because basically he isn't going to have the health to compete for that 40th spot or 30th spot. So depending on how much they view him as being usable, he might be the guy who gets a bump to the six or whatever the extended IL is. Um, and then you have like a Lomo take his spot on the 40 man. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, kind of the other question I wanted to get to outside of the top 40 or the 40 man roster. Who do you think will, will be in the group of other 20 players, Brad? Uh, well, we know that some prospects are going to be involved in that. Right. We talked on the emergency pod a little bit about how you're looking at players who they definitely want to develop. I think you definitely see Ethan Small, Aaron Ashby, two of the top pitchers in the organization. There's a good chance you see Mario Feliciano, who could use more development as a catcher and catching more innings is going to be beneficial for him and help in his development. There's so you're definitely going to see some of the top prospects. We talked about how Garrett Mitchell is a big question mark because we know that uh, type one diabetes puts you at extra risk for the virus in terms of how it affects your health. So he might not be on that list, but you might even see players as raw as Bryce Terang, who they want to get the extra work. Aside from that, I, definitely a lot of the same players who you saw on the non-roster list who can have impact the season. So you're looking at your Drew Rasmussen's, you're looking at your Miguel Sanchez's, uh, Shelby Miller, who we all forgot exists when we were going through this oh, earlier. Oh boy, today. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Jake Faria is a yeah, guy Jake that. Jake Faria. Yeah, who, who I think he'll be in the off season. Yep. And then uh, there's like Clayton Andrews, who, of course, we saw a pitch. He's a lefty, but he might be a very interesting 30-man option because he also can play a decent center field defensively. Uh, so he might be a very interesting player to mix into this, e even though his pitching or his skill set might not be major league ready. As a 30th-man flex player, I think there's a lot of value in that for an organization. I think but, we'll see somebody like Aaron Wilkerson for the same reason that like uh, Shupak, because you have the need for bulk innings potentially. So right, a guy right. who's and pitched Wilkerson, in the big leagues. Wilkerson's been used that way on the team already, right? Yep, like, yes, exactly. Um, uh, we we all expect Lomo. Uh, Keon Broxton is definitely on that bubble. It's yeah, and I wanted have... to. I felt bad about this because we kind of brushed past Broxton. You brought him up on the minor league pod, or on the sorry, the emergency pod, and he is like the perfect example of a guy that you want to give run to in summer camp and see if you get Hot Keon because Hot Keon can remember that that time where he in like ten days he put up like two WAR because yeah. he just was. Yeah. He was, he was he was phenomenal. bombing the baseball and then defensively was just making incredible plays. Yeah. If that happens, if you end up with that for, you know, even like three weeks of a what is it going to be a nine week, 10 week season that could be transformative for your team. So yeah, he's, right. he's honestly like a, a stereotypical brewer by low person that they've just happened to have had on the team before several times. And he, he could be a difference maker legitimately. Right, Andy, I mean, you're looking at that extended September roster type field to start the season. And if you want that guy who can steal you bases and be a ninth inning defensive sub, you have it. Absolutely. And like a guy like Jace Peterson will be 
for sure on this roster. Like there's no way because he's versatile and he has some experience and you need guys like that as backfills in case bad things happen further up on your roster. So a guy like right. him, I, I Andres Blanco, probably like you have you have guys like that. The question I have for you, Brad, is who is the player who has the least high experience that you think will make this team? Or will make the the taxi squad. Like, how high up do they need to have made it to? I guess you did say uh, Ashby, and he's maxed out so far at. Well, even high small a, maxed right? out at the Timber Rattlers, I believe. Okay, but he, he's a little bit of a weird exception because of right. Yeah, being an advanced so college pitcher, in, he was only going to get limited innings because he pitched in the College World Series. I I think in terms of technical, I think Terang is really the bottom of that tier that we're seeing. Because I think there's value in having coaches who can advise him, working with him, even if it's wasting, quote unquote, wasting a spot to continue his development. Because you already invested a lot in him with a high draft pick and you want to continue that development. I think he's probably like Ashby technically is probably similar in experience, but I think when you're looking at a combination of age and success, Terang is lowest on that list. We're Mario Feliciano, another guy we mentioned, who's still pretty young. I think he's 21 until July, which is coming up because time doesn't work right anymore. <laughs> um, right. Oh, Feliciano, he's a November birthday. He was 17 when he was drafted and didn't turn oh. 18 until November. Yeah, he's All right. he's a youngin. Oh, yeah, November 20th. I have it right here. So, yeah, I think, but he was in double A for a few weeks last year. So, yeah, uh, uh, I, those two are probably the youngest. But in terms of like Tristan Lutz, I think is fringe. I think you already have so many outfielders. It's hard to justify even from a developmental standpoint, putting Tristan Lutz in that situation. Yeah. And then if you're looking at other top prospects with development, Antoine Kelly, if you we talked about this for a little bit on the emergency pod. If you can open up Arizona in a safe manner, which is unlikely, but if, because players already proved that they can't do it well. And that's why we had the outbreak news that we had a couple weeks ago. But if you find a way to open up Arizona and it's under strict constrictions, Antoine Kelly is more benefited from going to the pitching lab than working on the 60 man on the taxi squad because he needs so much work. He might be like the right. rawest player who could yeah. go in that situation, but the best thing for him would be to go and work in a very refined space. Right. I was going to ask uh, out of those 60, you know, you mentioned Ashby and some of the other pitchers who are kind of fringe. If would they be better off just going to Arizona to the pitching lab or do they need the, I guess, live batters? I think Small and Ashby have gotten enough time in the pitching lab that they kind of know what they need to work on. The same with thing with Rasmussen, where working against live batters is much more valuable for them at this point. We're actually seeing in a quote-unquote game-like situation what their stuff looks like and how her hitters react to it. They're at the point where it's valuable. Where Antoine Kelly throws a fastball. <laughs> and he a really fast fastball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is an awesome fastball, but he needs a second pitch. So he develop her. He gets more benefit from going and trying new grips and trying and seeing like what is going to be something that can be impactful in a game for him and working on his biomechanical process. 
and I know he got some of that feedback in Arizona, but not nearly the extensive work that the other players have already gotten in that facility. So when you're looking at more polished players like Ashby and Small, they have already have that knowledge. They just need to execute it now, where Kelly needs a lot more fine-tuned poking and prodding. Sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And of course, you know, by the time this podcast drops, y'all all know who's on the 60 man roster. So a lot of this will be moot. But it's just kind of an interesting thought to, to have before the rosters come out. In the meantime, as part of the sort of Brewers press conferences, uh, Rick Schlesinger said, you know, the Brewers would love to have some fans in the stands at some point this year. You know, we already kind of addressed, given the state of things in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, it doesn't seem terribly likely, but we had the Houston Astros of all teams saying they, they want to open up their park to fans at some point this year. A lot of that comes down to MLB and local health regulations is what the Brewers said. In the meantime, we've got some teams getting creative with weaving in that fan experience. You know, we saw in Korea some of the some of the faces in the crowd and uh Dolls of various types, let's just say, in the stands. The San Francisco Giants say they're going to let fans pay to put cardboard cutouts in the seats, which is actually kind of cool to me. It'll be free for season ticket holders, but if you're not a season ticket holder, you can pay close to 100 bucks to get your picture in the stand. So I guess, uh, Ryan, is that something you would do? Put your face behind home plate? Well, as a season ticket holder... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to do that. And I'm anticipating that there will be some use of this liberally by uh, Steve, too. I was just going to say, <laughs> what are the odds that Steve's going to pick one of his favorite pictures of you to put up there? Oh, there's several that he definitely would be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm just like resigned to that eventuality happening. So, yeah. And- this is where I admit I'm wrong because we actually had a similar conversation a few weeks ago and I said, MLB doesn't know how to have fun. Right. And uh, everyone else argued against me and was like, no, they like money though. So if it's a chance <laughs> to make money, I was like, yeah, I know they like money, but they also hate fun. So it's like uh, them tearing themselves apart inside. And right away, once this was a thing, the Giants came out and were like, cardboard cutouts, we're doing it. Yep. So I, I just had to throw up my hands and say, I was dead wrong on this. And I can't wait to see what Steve does to Ryan. Like, what if he, like, takes a, a row of, like, the regulars in the front row and puts Ryan's face on them all? So, like, we got our Ryan front row Amy. We got our Ryan Mark A. We got... <laughs> <laughs> Not that he needs help. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a fun <laughs> idea to think about. So I'm, I'm glad that they're doing it. In the meantime, getting to kind of the on-field product not just what's in the stands. Uh, We're starting to see, you know, now that we have a timeline for a season, we know how many games are going to be played. We don't know the schedule yet, but we're starting to kind of see predictions and projections of what everybody could do this summer with the 60-game schedule. So I believe Fangraphs projected the Brewers for about 31 wins. Is that right? Seems about right to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. and, 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 you know, they were projecting a very, very tight NL Central race where... That would have put the Brewers, I think, in second place. Vegas odds currently over under at 30 and a half wins. So right along in those lines, you know, we don't have an answer on what we're going to do with the prop bets yet. But I guess (laughs) over under 30 and a half wins for all you guys. Uh, Paul, go first. I'll take over. And just projections for a 60 game season are ridiculous. Uh, when, when Fangraphs put out their projections, I saw a lot of people criticizing them for having a few teams on pace for like 112 wins. But like in a 60 game schedule, that's 
that is not only plausible but almost inevitable that some team right. will get hot and and just play at 112 win pace for 60 games. So it makes perfect sense. And like this, this literally is a coin flip. You, you you have nobody has any idea. There's so much luck involved. So like I'll go over. Just there's no reason not to be optimistic about it. And I'm not going to actually put money on it. So so much the better. <laughs> yeah, I mean Craig Council is a master of using rosters creatively and david stearns like also gets credit for that like they have proven themselves as a team to be really exceptional at this and to squeeze extra wins basically every year out of situations and we're going to have this weird month where they already said craig council said they're anticipating that they're going to break camp with 17 pitchers 16 or 17 pitchers let's go <laughs> i mean so of craig yeah i mean it's gonna be great yeah so and and you know that there's not going to be the same vetching about that that there normally would accompany that just because everybody understands that this is a weird situation and that pitchers have to be protected and you have to be careful with them. So I think that it's going to be even more common. If anything, though, the rest of the league, it's going to kind of bring them back to the way the Brewers do things. That's my big worry about this. Like, it, uh, I feel like it steals a strategic advantage from them because... Even the teams that aren't as smart as the Brewers are going to sort of be forced to play like them. And I, I worry about that as a long-term effect, too, that when teams get to first-hand experience how effective it can be, that everybody just starts doing it. And at that point, we've lost that particular advantage that we've enjoyed for a couple of years. So, but they um, aren't built to maximize it, where the uh, Brewers are built to take advantage of it. Sure, yes, but... One thing the Brewers have shown is it's not that hard to go and find a couple of pitchers who can be effective. No, no, no. First time through the order since. <laughs> All and, those DFA claims? Yes. No, those are hard to get. <laughs> you got to be really bad. <laughs> like I feel like to, to build for it takes like a, a month of GM work. So. You mean the 2016 to 2017 offseason? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm going to, I just want to throw a number on it, and I think 35. We talked about how sure. in, in very weird situations, like there could be a team that has a 50 to 10 record, but unfortunately you're not dealing with that two months of just playing a very good team, playing very miserable organizations. You're playing division opponents, you're playing uh, some tougher AL opponents. So you don't really get that grace period where you're just playing hot garbage in April and May, and all of a sudden you take off on a crazy record that is very hard to catch up on. I, it definitely is even harder to guess because of that, because you're we've seen the craziness that can happen just from playing a divisional opponent. Look at the streak the Pirates got on for a while as they, for some reason, continue to pound the Brewers into dust. Well, I mean, look at the so, Giants last year, who were a bad team overall. They really weren't competitive much at all but if you took their june and their july from last season they the would have games the brewers played <laughs> yeah they were like they, they would have been like a 45 win team so yep. you know right it, any stupid shit can happen uh, my other prediction is that the brewers are going to make a super trade for a guy for only 30 games because they're not going to have to pay like anything for him oh we have a question so, about ooh. that oh do we i missed oh, that actually one. no it's it's the uh, reverse of that never mind sorry <laughs> so, like, if the Dodgers luck ba runs bad and they're like five and twenty-five by August thirty-first or whatever, <laughs> they're not hard to beat. Like, Mookie Mookie, getting Mookie Betts is a real possibility, and I think like the Brewers would even be like, whatever, take the second year of Avisayil, who like <laughs> we'll take Mookie <laughs> just to max like turn our offense into this destructive force. 
it, the cost that you're going to have to pay for him is next to nothing because teams have to admit, like, oh, you're only getting him for 30 days in a weird season. Okay. That would be great. You know, that or J- JT Rio Muto or George Springer or, you know, yeah, exactly. There, there's a ton love of theory. It's, yeah, it's a good theory. Like, you, we could have a superstar join the team uh, after August 31st because of the short season. And we already know that rental players stopped going for what they were going for. Right. Like rental players already when on the July 30th trade deadline, weren't going for massive halls of prospects anymore. Like you get one good prospect and then a couple guys who might be able to help your team in the future, but you don't get the Christian Yelich trades or the CC Sabathia trades, you know, which was a massive haul at the time for a rental player. Though that era Seems to be behind us for now. The market always changes, and the next year's cost for a player will always be different than last year's cost for the player. But you have to imagine, now that it's limited to just 30 days, that there's going to be room for some insane acquisition where you really won't have to trade your Bryce Terangs or Tristan Lutzes, where you could get away with trading, say, a Corey Ray. Right, right. And it'd be a very David Stearns move to do too, right? To to get oh, that yeah. 30 day. And yeah. then, you know, free agency is not really going to be a thing. So he lands on a one-year pillow contract with the Brewers again next year. And right. One of the things they're saying is the qualifying offer, not that the qualifying offer benefits teams who trade for players anyways, but the tra- right. qualifying offer might be actually the best thing for players, even though Trevor Bauer hates it. But it might again, actually that, be that's a, an indication that's a good thing. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> So the qualifying offer being there is probably the best contract we're going to see in the next year of free agency based on how teams are going to cry poor. Yeah, Sure. Uh, we do have a lot of Patreon questions to get to this week, so let's just dive right into those right now. Our first question is from Jay Google, of course. Uh, I believe Steve criticized that the last time, but we didn't we didn't address that. Anyway, uh, Jay is asking which of the players that were injured to start the year will now have the biggest impact on teams this season. Corey uh, I figure that would be probably <laughs> guess number one. A uh, <laughs> Ryan, do you have any other guesses? So Luis, do. Luis Urias <laughs> ahead, has Ryan. been really, <laughs> yeah. really good in uh O to OTP to 2021. <laughs> he had a really good breakout season. So he's solid for me too. He's carrying the offense. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, and I've, this is my second <laughs> run through with it. And it, yeah, it, both times Luis Urias turned into a really, really good hitter, which I, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Urias as I, I would take Knable, but Brad already took him. So I'll go with Urias. <laughs> yeah. yeah Paul? I think it's, uh, I, I think it's Urias. I think it's a gift that he got specifically this amount of time. I, I agree with Knievel too. I just think that it's it's possible he could even maybe use a little bit more time than he's getting given the severity of his injury, but uh, also good. But Urias, like, I think this is the perfect amount of time to get him basically back to normal. Uh, that was going to be a big hit to the lineup with um, him right. being impacted pretty severely. They were counting on him taking a step forward to fill some holes that they lost in the lineup. And now I think that can actually happen. So um, I, I, I think that really benefits him a ton. I'm really interested to see if RC's performance maintains and if they end up <laughs> causing like a middle infield jam. I think all of us did not expect RC to continue hitting uh, as well as he was, but it, if there was some offensive improvement, which there was plenty of room for, there was 
still optimism and what he can do for the team. And now, as we've talked about many times, so that is an interesting situation for who, who gets the second bill of DH spots after Ryan Braun when you're trying to fit those three guys in the lineup. I, I'm excited to see regular Urias play because I've always been excited about him as a player. In the second they got him in that trade, I like cracked myself with excitement. Because, A, I, as a person who likes Trent Grisham, I thought that was a good situation for him because I knew he took the playoff loss hard. B, as a person who mm-hmm. loves Luis Urias, I love when him on my team. Yeah. Right. I think it's not a huge impact, but another guy that I think a lot of people forget about because he got hurt so early last year is Bobby Wall. Like, it's, it's easy to remember, or forget, sorry, it's easy to forget that a lot of people were excited about Bobby Wall last spring and then he tore his ACL. So, you know, a year plus removed from that, he's got time to get that knee healthy again and and maybe be kind of a sleeper pick to help this bullpen, especially given, you know, how many innings they're going to have to cover with pitchers pitching shorter. So I, I don't know. That that might be a name to look out for, too. After this time off, call. maybe Brett Anderson has like another mile per hour or two behind his fastball. <laughs> 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 Speaking of OTP, Brett Anderson got hurt like three times in three months. No, Brett Anderson hurt. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very accurate. Is he one of the guys whose health status is? is I think he's wrecked. wrecked, Yeah, wrecked. Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's wrecked. Next question, we've got our uh, soccer question of the week from PJ Wessels. Uh, He says obligatory cap tip to Liverpool. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago or so. He says, congrats. Also, who is your pick for player to be traded away, Ryan? Well, thank you for the the tip. I know that was difficult for you, but yeah, it, it was pretty great to have Liverpool finally win a, the title after waiting many, many, many months for it. So just when will Chelsea get their spot in the limelight? I mean, yeah, that was that was pretty great. That Chelsea had a great game, won that game and gave Liverpool the title and nobody talked about them at all. Except for Pulisic. Like, that was the only thing that got discussed. It was great. Anyway, my pick for player to be traded away. This, I guess, would be in the event that... I'll take it this two different ways. In the event that they are good and going for it and making trades, I would say that there is a substantial chance I could see Bryce Turing getting traded. That could be a reason why that they would bring him and put him on the, the taxi squad as a means to to get a player that they need for the stretch run. I could see that from the other direction. If they do fall out of it and are forced to do some sort of a sell-off, a lot of the the one-year guys could potentially go. Brock Holt would make a lot of sense as a guy that could get traded just because of the versatility and the fact that most teams could kind of find a place for him on their roster. If they're in rough shape, I could also see Braun getting shipped out for... um, for the rest of the season and then maybe coming back at a later point if he's still playing. Like, if if the Astros are contending and need another bat, he'd be a perfect that'd be a perfect landing spot for Braun because nobody would care about him being evil. So that that seems quite possible. Also, I was reading up on Liverpool when they when they did win just to learn something about soccer, and apparently they're one of the only teams that has like a throw in coach and throw in plays, mm-hmm. which seems like something you'd want to have. Like that's I can't believe that's a, an inefficiency in soccer that exists. That's crazy. There's still um, a lot of market inefficiencies in soccer. So anyway, I'm kind of a half fan now because I read that. And I was like, well, that just makes lots of sense. You should definitely do that. So I already mentioned that I think Corey Ray is probably about the max that I see getting traded this season. 
because unless they get someone with control. If they get someone with control, then Terang is absolutely on the table. But I think this is the season where you only buy rentals, really, and Corey Ray would be about the top of that tier that you're willing to trade for, unless you're trading someone who's already on the 40-man roster That uh, besides for Ray. Just because I think this isn't the time to throw away a bunch of talent for your future when you're playing for 30 more games. Ray a lock for the taxi squad for you, Brad? Yeah. Yeah. I would think you would be too. Especially with him on the 40, man. Absolutely. The other side of that is I definitely think there's room for lots of trades to happen with all the one-year contracts. I think the primo candidate for that is Jed Jerko because if he does have a rebound year, he's going to be that type of talent like Brock Holt, who can really be an asset to a bunch of teams in a few positions that tend to be weak across the league because he can play a decent third, he can play a decent second. So you can put him into that boat. But I think they we talked about this when we thought there was going to be a season. A lot of the reason why there's a year and an option is there. Like, let's see if our new process works. If it does, we can re-up on all this and it can work for two years. If it doesn't, we can shift these guys out and try again next year. It, it puts them in a very safe net. And I'm wondering if they don't think that failing this year might be better for them from a fiscal standpoint because then they can ship all these off and not have to worry about the buyouts for the options. Hmm. That's a good thought. Uh, you mentioned the taxi squad. Speaking of the taxi squad, Asilatam. Asking, will the taxi squad be in Appleton? It will. He may have asked this before. That was official. Uh, also, did you know that you can become an owner of the Appleton Timber Rattlers? Or at least sort of like a Green Bay Packers style owner where you don't actually own it, but you can pay money to get a certificate. I hate uh, sports. I, <laughs> I, I hate it's, sports. It's kind of cool. I, I, it, the way I read it is a way to, to kind of help the team's finances while there's no minor league season. They can keep playing employees. I, as far as I can tell, there's not a whole lot of benefit outside of you get a fancy certificate with your name on it. Do, but, you, do you get to go to the event where the GM reads out a list of roster players? Good God, I hate – sometimes I hate sports. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a cool idea. Would, would you pay – so these run about 50 bucks from what I can tell, and you can renew it for I think it was 20 next year. So I guess – I don't know. What do you toss? You renew it? You have to renew it's your ownership? Fan. What it's is a, this? A lease? It's a fan club. It's not like the Packers. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. This is a much this is a much better version of it. But I God. mean to their credit, they call it a, a membership, not not an ownership stake. So they're not lying to you like the Packers are. But it is part of the owners club. I mean, it's I a mean, great way to finance uh, finance reconstructions from the public while tricking yep. the public into thinking they aren't get it, they aren't paying for it. Listen, if you're going to pay $99 to have your face behind a home plate, maybe you can pay $50 to, to have a fake ownership stake in the Timber Rattlers. Their history goes back a long ways, apparently. It, you know, I was, I was just reading that link, so it is kind of interesting. Anyway, yeah, they had David Ortiz on. there in the 90s. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, that really cool YouTube video. If you can dig it up, wasn't there like a home run derby with Ortiz and A Rod? And I think Griffey came down for a rehab stint or something. It, it's a cool video. Check it out, at least. Uh, our next question comes from Darren Jones. Uh, speaking of Appleton, he says, It seems we need to catch a name for the group included on the Brewers 60 man pool, but left off the opening day roster. So the folks that would go to Appleton, 
as we mentioned uh, on Saturday, the Brewers announced Tyrone Taylor was optioned to quote the alternate training site roster, which seems way boring. Uh, and we definitely need a better name for that. So outside of taxi squad, I guess what, what do you have for suggestions on, on calling these things, Brad? It's chasing chubbies taken. <laughs> it was cruising chubbies, not chasing chubbies, but uh, oh, I guess I, I don't uh, see the billboard every day, James. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's not from that part of the state, so he can, uh, he can have the, yeah. the only pornographic billboards I'm yeah. familiar with is that one stretch where you go and there's like 40 of them in a row with one Jesus one slapped in the middle. Yeah, there's <laughs> also like for that part of the state, it's bean snappers, though, right? That's the that's there's the bean, bean snappers, snappers area, there. Yeah. yeah, there's also the adult superstore, you, you get the billboards <laughs> for that too. Anyway, back to the Appleton. My my favorite one that I heard was the hops, and I would I would add to that short hops. Short hop. Is it the Mudcats that have the microbrewers uniforms every once yeah, in a while? Yeah, the microbrewers. I was gonna say you could steal from them. They're owned by the team. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's both of those are better than anything I could think of. Um, there's just anything with Appleton in it is. is Apples are kind of lame. We're into some <laughs> Fox Valley stuff. Just it didn't work out. So I, I like both short hops and micro brews. Well, there's a reason they go by Wisconsin instead of Appleton, right? Yes, there is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you play in Appletown. That's fun. No, it's lame. Don't. <laughs> yeah. 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 There we go. Some Twitter questions too this week. We, we mentioned the one from Nick before, but Michael McNamara sending us a question on our MKE tailgate twitter account knowing what we know now what changes would you have made in the offseason i i think brad and ryan you guys mentioned definitely keeping eric thames would seem like a great idea right now so i guess outside of that paul do you do you have any other suggestions what would you do differently if you knew this is how things would play out other than keeping thames i'm not sure i would have done too much different um other than maybe just take another swipe around for relief pitchers and see if i can just get even more added then not that they're in bad shape on that front at all but I think that they're going to be really the premium position in the short season. But uh, I mean, that's what I do from a maximization standpoint. If I was a, an asshole GM, I think I might actually not spend on a couple of people that I spent on just because you lost some time. And this season's going to be basically, basically determined on luck anyway. So, but, but screw that. Who wants that? So I would, I would have just gone after relievers a little bit more and definitely resigned Thames. Like that's just a complete no brainer at this point. He's a perfect short series guy. He can carry you for 60 games easily. If he gets hot, he has before. But I don't know. DH, he doesn't get hurt all the time. Exactly. Take, yeah. I'll take another look around the league for anybody who's kind of like him too, and see if there's an, another couple, couple big bats that we missed out on that signed for cheap deals. Yeah. There's load up on relievers. This is all, all about relief pitchers. Yeah. The relief pitcher thing is, especially now that we know that they are not going to be limiting teams to 13 pitchers. Once they get down to 26 man rosters, they did decide that they're going to teams are going to be carrying 14, 15 pitchers and fewer position players. So that would change because the Brewers seem to have gone heavy on the position player side thinking, well, we're going to spend a lot of this season mixing and matching position players. And there's Mm -hmm. probably by the time we get to September, there's going to be less space on the roster for those guys so yeah that would that would be a change too i would definitely would have invested in maybe one more you know reasonably expensive but high upside relief pitcher to go with what they already have mm-hmm. i would have signed yes money grandel <laughs> <laughs> yeah and maybe uh um blake thienan yeah i think Down the dentist. yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. Dylan Batantis is one of my favorites. I would always have signed him. So definitely, 
he he is basically Josh Hader, not even light. He's just Josh Hader in this scenario. Yeah. He, he, he pays he, off well. Well, Josh Hader is Della Bentanis's 2.0, right? That's right. Yes, yeah, that's correct. That was yeah down to getting screwed in RB. Uh, another Twitter question from Steve, uh, not Karshinsky, different Steve. He's asking, what improvements would you make to Miller Park if you had your pick of options, other than spacing all the seats six feet apart given the pandemic? The, the place is 20 years old and the roof still leaks during a heavy rain. I would make the roof stop leaking. Please stop. I've been in so many situations where there's been heavy rain and the rain pour, the like downspout that comes down is a foot away from me or in the like the seat in the row behind me it is insane i don't know why it follows me around but why it's but it's a 20 year old part why haven't you fixed that well i mean it, it does come together in the middle so there's like ceiling <laughs> issues i'm i'm sure so. look whenever i have a leak in one of my windows i just fill it full of caulk get some caulk up there in the middle and <laughs> just really go to town <laughs> um yeah, uh, I, I mean, like if money is no object here and you can just do this and snap your fingers and have it be there, I would definitely put AC in that thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, you only, you only need it for six or seven games a year, but I feel like I'm at those six or seven games every damn time. And like, I yeah, I mean, it's the Miller Park Schwitz at that point. Like you're you're absolutely <laughs> getting like you, you might as well need a Turkish a bath. There have been an uncountable number of times where I've hidden in the game store and watched on a TV just to get out of it. Wow. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, please, AC, thank God. One time my mom came in and found me and I was just standing in front of the baby gear and she comes over and she's like, do you have something to tell me? And I'm like, oh, no, the AC is right above this. <laughs> and she was like, ah, it walks away. <laughs> yep. Now, Ryan, you got this all wrong. What you want is a bunch of hot rocks in the middle of every aisle uh, to pour water on. And uh, let's just use, let's use really get the Schwitz going. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's so like, um, no, 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 no. Because there's going to be some guys who refuse the towel. <laughs> and I, the guys who refuse it are the ones I want to use it. <laughs> so there used to be a secret bar in Miller Park that they took out for something. I can't remember what. Maybe the ceiling experience or something. But I want that back because it was awesome. That and, corner uh, was like a thousand things. It was a game store. It was like a pitching challenge. Yeah. It was a bar. It was a thousand different things. <laughs> so bring that back. Um, and then while the pandem pandemic's going on, they should obviously set up uh, drive-in theater screens in the parking lot to still have tailgating and be able to watch the game as it's going on live in the parking lot. The only downside to that is the obvious downside to every Brewer game, which is you have a bunch of people that are forced to drive to the game to actually do it who are going to drink the whole time without the seventh inning cutoff. So um, I understand why they maybe don't do that eventually, but uh, it seems like a no-brainer to still actually even have some crowd noise on the outside that you can hear. So, Bring back the rock climbing wall, you cowards. <laughs> you mean the, the giant Mountain Dew can? <laughs> yeah, bring it back, you cowards. Oh, I forgot about that thing up in the Dew deck. Yeah, absolutely. Which is uh, kind of like the Miller Lite party deck. Whatever, make it a tall boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just paint the colors different. It's fine. Yeah. It's all good. Uh, reminder, you can send questions to our Milwaukee's Tailgate account on Twitter. That's at MKE Tailgate. You can also follow all of us on Twitter. Send us questions there directly. That's kind of where Nick and, and uh, Paul had that interesting discussion on the market inefficiencies of COVID. Uh, you can follow Paul at Badger Noonan. Ryan is at RD Top. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at 
James L. That's James with a Y. And I'm not Steve Karczynski. While you're at it, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review and help other people find the podcast. Uh, I believe Steve passed on the advice in the emergency pod. We don't care what you say. Just give us five stars. Is that is that kosher? Or I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's allowed. But. I prefer if you say nice things about me, but no, the the five stars is. I think that's the algorithms that we need to to hit. Yes, so. that's correct. Five no, stars I, is fine. If you want to swear at me, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> In fact, I appreciate it. So go for it. Look, <laughs> if you want to say something mean, do it on Twitter and not on the reviews. <laughs> I'm used right. to it on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. muting so you is so much easier. <laughs> again, if if you have uh, negative reviews, that's at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, <laughs> so just remember that. And again, a reminder, you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. You'll get priority when we send out the call for questions and you get a shout out when you sp- sign up. Speaking of that, Ryan, we do have a new patron this week. Yeah. Corey Diedrich. Welcome. Thank you. We appreciate it. Nice. Corey. And we thank you, Corey, yeah, for signing Corey. up. We would yeah, give Steve you, credit for because I this came in after Steve put out a call and said, "Hey, sign up for this thing." And but no, we don't want to give Steve credit for anything. So no, just thank uh-huh. thank you, Corey. <laughs> we appreciate that. it. Yeah, thank you, Corey, uh, and thank you all of you for listening to this week's episode. Once again, we hope you stay well, and we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.